at the end of a 22-minute piece, we know that it's really hitting kids. And then we started realizing that it was also hitting children um, on the spectrum that are that are now able to articulate their feelings or able to do things that they might not have been able to do before. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today's episode features a conversation with children's TV show creator and writer, Angela Santamaro. I first met Angela back in 1998 when I got a job working with the hit preschool show, Blue's Clues, where Angela was one of the show's co-creators. Since then, Angela has gone on to create many more successful educational programs for children, helping preschoolers learn not only school readiness and problem solving, but social and emotional skills, skills that children who are differently wired often need more support in developing. In today's episode, Angela talks about the potential for educational media in kids' lives and shares her passion for the power of kids' TV as a tool to support the social and emotional development of both typical and atypical kids. There is so much ongoing debate over TV and other screen time for our children. I hope you find this conversation insightful and that it gives you food for thought as you go about making screen time choices for your own kids. To learn more about Tilt, the revolution for parents raising atypical kids, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Hey, everybody. Debbie Reber here on the Tilt Parenting Podcast, and I'm here today with the Enemy-nominated children's TV creator and writer, Angela Santamaro. Angela created the preschool phenomenon, Blue's Clues, for Nickelodeon, as well as Superwag and Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood for PBS, and Creative Galaxy and Wish and Poof for Amazon. Angela is also a best-selling author and the host of The Parents Show with Angela Santamaro on PBS. Welcome to the show, Angela. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I wanted to share a little background for listeners. So just to keep it real, you and I have been friends for a long time now, as I worked on Blue's Clues back in the day, which was a long time ago, I'm starting to realize now. (laughs) Since then, you and I have gotten to collaborate together on some really cool projects. And I just want to say, personally, it's been really fantastic to watch your, you know, your journey as a kids show creator over the years and just see you continually bring your passion for empowering kids to TV in a way that I think has truly transformed the landscape for educational TV. Thank you so much. I mean, I think that you and I have always said this, like when we met, there was just this chemistry in terms of what we wanted to do out in the world and better ourselves and what we're doing for kids. And so obviously, I'm also a huge supporter of yours since the beginning, um, and also on this new endeavor, which I think is so needed. And I'm, I'm so happy to support it. Thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate that. So I wanted to just talk before we kind of get into the meat of our conversation. I'm really just kind of curious if you could share with us where this passion that you have around the work you're doing, where that stems from. So I obviously know you're the mom of two very cool daughters who are now well past the preschool years, but you know, you were doing this work before you had children. So I'm kind of, you know, could you just tell us a little bit about what it was about the blend of media and kids that really inspired you to go down this path? You know, I always thought that um, I might be a teacher. I was a preschool teacher when I was in the classroom in college, and I was always in 
around kids. I was that babysitter who had, you know, had to keep a grid of, you know, all of the clients that I had because I was constantly babysitting. And then my little brother was born when I was 14. And so I really got to watch him grow. And so I, I, I talk a lot about how he sparked my interest in kids and child development and then how being a crazy fan of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood as a preschooler also made me so interested in what it would be like to teach through media um, the way that I believe that Fred Rogers did. So that's kind of the way that that the journey started for me. So I just have to ask, what does a crazy fan of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood look like in action? <laughs> Well, you know, I was that four-year-old who, and this is, of course, my mom tells the story that I could not get any closer to the TV when he was, when the show was on. And I would talk to, um, talk back to Mr. Rogers, um, talk to the TV. And then also, you know, as I got older in eighth grade, they asked us to write an essay on a mentor of ours. And I chose Fred Rogers. Um, and I studied, um, and looked up what he did and realized he had a master's in child developmental psychology and it just had all of these things that were, were really interesting to me. And so anyway, so it kind of started from there and continued to grow. That's very cool. I didn't hear, I didn't know about the, the report in eighth grade. I'm not sure that that might have been the hippest choice, but I love that you kind of... <laughs> <laughs> and then of course, when I met Fred and I was able to tell him that, that also gave, you know, I had a lot of, uh, I got a lot of accolades from him because of that, I think too. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it seems, you know, just looking at my Facebook feed where, you know, I spend a lot of time on Facebook. It seems like just about every day, at least one article goes by in my news feed where the merits of screen time are being discussed. You know, is it good? Is it bad? How little? How much? What are the benefits? What are the risks? But when it comes to educational programming, like the shows you've created, there's clear evidence that children can learn not only, you know, school re readiness skills and things like pre-literacy, but also all kinds of social and emotional lessons as well, right? I mean, there's, there's evidence to kind of back that up. Oh, yes. Um, Deb Leinbarger at the University of Pennsylvania cites, um, and uh, when she was at the University of Pennsylvania and then continues today, she has cited tons of research with her group about the merits of screen time. And obviously, it's choosing the right programs and that if you're creating with an intent to teach and that you have that background, we're seeing lots of reports that show that kids are actually learning. And then we do our own formative research whenever we're testing something new to really see how kids across the board, both in low income um, and regular income families are, what they're doing with our content and the questions that they're asking about our content and then how it's impacting their learning. And again, that's formative. That's what we see just in order to better what we do. And then of course, we're backing that up with Dan Anderson and the University of Pennsylvania and Annenberg folks and everybody who's doing this research um, starting way back when in Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers Neighborhood and, and beyond about literally the power and the influence that media can have on kids. Interesting. So I was going to ask how you make sure your show land, your shows kind of land with kids in the right way and make sure that the viewers are actually making those, you know, intellectual and social and emotional connections you want them to. So it sounds like it the key there is research. And maybe you could just, you know, I from having worked at Blue's Clues and, and knowing I know a bit about your process, but maybe you could just share for listeners, summarize what that research looks like. 
So, yes. So we have a formative research team, and most of them come from Teachers College, Columbia University, where we've all studied the effects of media on kids um, and understanding how it affects their learning. So we, you know, when you when you go to the program at Teachers College, it's also about the education and child development, and then how it cross how it crosses through media in terms of what we can do using um, instructional technology and media. So like using the power of media to inform what we do. So we have that background, and then what we'll do is we'll take we'll literally take a second draft of a script in a protocol format so that each pre- each researcher will sit on the floor with kids and say the script in the exact same way um, and read the script in the exact same way and then like in, in for Blue's Clues we'll play the games that you'll play on the show and we'll record what's going on um, with the kids we'll observe what they're saying um, whether they're whether they're interested whether they're getting the concepts that we literally want to set out um, we have an intent to teach so even though it would be after one program. We want to know that kids are taking away um, a strategy for Daniel Tiger's neighborhood or really cognitive learning skills from a blues clues. Um, and so we want, we look at that and then we're constantly going back in, especially in a development process so that we know that there's a difference sitting on the floor with kids when we're reading this, this script and playing out these games, then when it's actually on television, when it's on a screen. And so we'll test it at different stages when it's on a screen as well to just make sure that we're maximizing the learning benefits um, of the program. Wow. That is very cool. Every time I hear it, I'm, o- I'm always kind of wowed by the the lengths that that you go to, to, to kind of make sure at every step along the way that it is going to really resonate and have the impact that you're hoping it will. Yeah. And then in the meetings that we have afterwards are kind of, um, you know, they're really, really, (laughs) I was going to say argumentative, but there's this like, (laughs) there's like this intense love and vision for what we want to put out to kids. And so we'll spend, I mean, the researchers spend so much time in the groups and then debriefing about what's going on. And then we'll sit down with the executive producers and the writers and with the research team and talk about what it is that we can do to make sure that the scripts are better, um, that we continue to, you know, really kind of push the limits of what kids can do and what they need to know and how they need to see it all the way through the production process. And so in a lot of ways, I make my job harder for myself because I, you know, I get consultant feedback. I get feedback from, you know, um, any, you know, anybody that's in that particular area of interest that we're writing about as well as kids um, and our research all the way through. So it's really an, it's an engaging, interesting, and sometimes really difficult process. Yeah. It's kind of like that, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, but in this case, you want all of those cooks, but it's a lot of work. Sounds like. Yeah. And we, I mean, I definitely want to know what everybody is thinking and then I have to make that call. Right. And, and always who wins the kids are the ones that win, right? What we do right by the kids. That's literally the first, the, the place that we go in terms of any deciding vote or what it is that we need to do to move things forward. Right. Right. Well, I wanted to switch gears. One of the things when we talked about doing this interview together, I knew that I wanted to bring up this particular article from the New York Times from last summer, because I remember when it came out, it really struck me and was also kind of widely shared in social media. So last summer, there was this great essay in the New York Times mother load section, which actually, I think a few weeks ago changed its name to well family. Um, But this was mother load, I think from July of 2015. It was written by the mother of a five year old autistic boy. And the writer, Rasha Madkor, opened the piece by saying, We spent thousands of dollars on therapies, countless hours at trial and error playdates. In spite of all that, I know just where the credit lies for my high-functioning autistic son's newfound ability to connect with others. Daniel Tiger. 
the you know one of the shows you created. So can you maybe just tell us what what was that essay about? Yeah, that always um, that always gets me. You know, I don't care how many Emmy nominations there are out there, but those are the kinds of letters that we get that really make it worthwhile what we do every day. We, um, you know, what we've seen in the formative research is on the social emotional side is that when we're giving these strategies that we carefully write and tweak, and you know, the composers Voodoo Highway are amazing at at, at the lyrics and putting everything together with us we're seeing how sticky it is. And there's so many reasons for why that is. Like we're really, it's really important to us that we took Fred's curriculum and his legacy and and, and moved it forward, right? And so what he's all about is the social and emotional learning of a child. So when we talk about sharing, it's about from the point of view of the child. It's that you can have a turn, but then I get it back. So it's again from, you know, it's it's something different when you're telling your child to share. And we can talk about that for hours too, in terms of what that really means and going into that. But this idea that we drilled it down um, to this strategy that says to the child, it's okay, like you'll be able to get it back. And then what we do is we have just in a nutshell, we have Daniel Tiger talking directly to that home viewer, right? So you have this immediate bonding with this character. We have a situation that's very visual and very emotional and very real, like a sharing situation, for instance. And then we use this strategy. We watch Daniel struggle with it. We watch it work and we do it a couple of times in the course of an 11 minute episode. And then we expand it in a song to show other experiences, other generalizable experiences that you can use the same strategy for. And then we repeat the same curriculum in another 11 minute story with a completely different story. And so at the end of a 22 minute piece, we know that it's really hitting kids. And then we started realizing that it was also hitting children um, on the spectrum that are that are now able to articulate their feelings or able to do things that they might not have been able to do before. We'll be right back after this quick break. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. 
The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. That's amazing. I, you know, just listening to you recap how the the approach you use within an episode or within 22 minutes, you know, so many of it, so many of those pieces really do resonate in terms of things that we do with Asher and things that I've learned over the years that help these kids kind of get things on a social emotional level that some of their peers are more naturally picking up that acknowledging the emotion has been huge for us. So just kind of, you know, think doing that thinking out loud and talking about the emotion, acknowledging it, empathizing it, and then the role playing piece too. I mean, that's, that's another big strategy that we've used a lot is taking somebody else's perspective. And then of course, the repetition piece so that it doesn't surprise me that that is really landing for kids on the spectrum or kids who are differently wired are connecting with that. But, you know, when you created the show, and really all of your shows, did you have any sense that they had this potential to support differently wired kids in this way? You know, we, um, no, it wasn't something that we set out to do. Um, but we're so about the child. And I do believe that, you know, there's so many similarities when you're looking at the development of childhood, um, that it doesn't surprise me either that it's reaching because we want the, what we're teaching to be so resonant. We make it really visual. We make it really repetitive. We make sure that it's really emotional when we're trying to solve a problem because we know from a story perspective that that's what's going to have children engage. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not a surprise to me that, that all children everywhere are getting something from it. It's just, it's just overwhelming when you realize that the techniques that we're using and that we're, that we're showing on the show is resonating in that way. And that's such a strong way. Mm -hmm. Right. And a piece of that too, for me anyway, is this interactivity, right? So we called it interactivity before, you know, that was even a buzzword with Blue's Clues in terms of leaving a pause. And so one of the things that I've been exploring in some of my work is this, is this pause and what that really looks like. And it's not just in the way that we do it for Blue, the way that we did it for Blue's Clues, which is kind of a catchphrase now for all of this, where's the red circle, da, 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 like those kinds of drill and not, it wasn't drill and skill when we were doing it, but that kind of play, really what it's about for me anyway, it's bonding with that home viewer and giving kids a chance to pause and to relate and to reflect and to um, be part of the experience. And that is also, I think, a really big key on why Daniel is resonating with kids as well. Mm. Well, I, I'm also just thinking, you know, when Asher was younger 
and not that this isn't an issue anymore, but he he has opinions about lots of things and he likes to share them. So, you know, and I'm, I'm sure he's not alone in that. So that pause also giving kids a chance to, to blurt out their answer to kind of, you know, let people know or let the viewer know or let the, the character know that they know the answer or they have a perspective, they have a point of view on it. So it, I really love that, that piece of it as well. Oh, me too. It gives them, to me, it just enables them to have that voice and be part of the experience, right? Be part of the conversation. Um, and I love it when I see that. I mean, it's just, it's it's really empowering to me to see a three, four-year-old. And, you know, with Daniel, it's been getting older um, as well, depending on the need and, and where these stories are, are sitting. But um, it's so, I love it when I hear the brilliance that comes out of the kids' mouths. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot to say. They do. <laughs> Yeah, there's one other quote from the essay I just wanted to share. Um, I, I I will post uh, for listeners, I'll post a link to it on the show notes as well, because it's definitely worth reading the whole thing. But another quote is in a world full of unspoken social codes, the manual to which isn't pre programmed in children like my son, Daniel Tiger is a chipper guide. In the specialist lingo, Daniel Tiger teaches social skills discreetly. That is, he explicitly spells them out, and the episodes feature multiple examples of those skills in use. He And he's a peer model, and children tend to learn better from other children than from adults. It's one thing when your parents tell you to share. It's another when you hear it from a ga- cast of characters who are as familiar as friends. And, you know, that jumped out at me, too, because I think that's a really tricky spot for a lot of kids who are differently wired is that peer relationship, especially if they struggle with the social connection and social skills or social thinking, as we call it, they don't often get a chance to practice in their day to day lives or in preschool, because a lot of kids will be like, you know, they'll just kind of move on. If that kid's behaving this way, I'm not really interested, I'll move on to something else. And so this is kind of a safe way for them to see that modeled and get to practice it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's what's also interesting about animation that it's it's also a safe it's also a safe medium, right, to be able to practice some of those skills because it's a little, you know, it's a little bit different looking. It's not necessarily as real as live action. And so we found that there's some specialness to the idea of of having some of these scenarios happen and then the animated characters are bringing a different sense to it. I never really thought of it that way before, but that's what I'm hearing more and more lately. Hmm, that makes total sense. Uh, You know, it also made me think of um, we've used what are called social stories a lot over the years with Asher. And, you know, those are usually stories or books that have a very strong social thinking component that we would read and then discuss together, where we look at different characters, thoughts and perspectives and emotions and kind of break them down. So I guess in many ways, shows like Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, they're really just social stories, but in a different medium. Would that be accurate? Definitely. And because of the time that we take to think about or have Daniel express his feelings and have Daniel talk to the home viewer a little bit about thinking through what he should do next um, or or thinking through what this strategy actually means before he does another action, I think that we're definitely we definitely have that kind of guide um, when we when if you look at a script of one of our shows. So I'm curious, you know, I'm sure that the the piece in the New York Times wasn't the first time you've gotten that feedback. Is it something that as you're creating new episodes, are you thinking about when you're looking at social issues or themes that you want episodes to be about? Are you 
incorporating or, or thinking about how this might support kids maybe who have ADHD or different things going on who are kind of wired differently, or you just kind of know, kind of feel safe in your overall approach that you're going to hit those children as well? Oh, no, we definitely, because of the feedback, we we took a closer look at some of the themes that we could tackle with Daniel and with the Fred Rogers Company as a great partner, really were able to come up with some themes like the feeling of being left out, like how to interplay, even though these characters are, are um, friends of each other, like we wanted to create a scenario where what would it be like to, you know, if you're a little bit nervous today about entering play, how do you do that? How do you start there? Or what happens when a friend says no to you? You know, things aren't always so happy and chipper around around here. Like what else, what can we do that, you know, these are things that parents have asked us specifically for and we start, started to look into it. And also we've been playing with aggression. Like what do we do? How do we show in terms of promoting kindness and not promoting violence? But how do you do that without modeling it? Because that's another thing that we're really cognizant of is that when we show something, even though we're saying it's wrong, if you show it, it's going to have many more implications than if you just, than if you don't. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we're working on is, um, is a, is a strategy where Daniel is about to hit, about to throw something up. He's so frustrated that he's about to, to, to be aggressive. And when he stop, we stop him, like mom, tiger stops him, teacher Harriet stops him. And then he learns to stop himself. It's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to hurt. Um, and those are the kinds of things that, you know, I think they have, they have implications, I think, with the kids on the spectrum. But I also think for me anyway, I'd like to think of it as grow also, also growing this audience to be, you know, to be much more kind and to, and to hope with all of the bullying and gun violence that we have out there as, as you start to grow up, if you start, if you have these strategies and skills with you that you might have other choices. Absolutely. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. 
I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. That is one thing I think about a lot, that the things that I have worked really hard with with Asher over the years is because he can be very intense, especially when he was younger, when things didn't go his way, his reactions were quite big. And so we've spent a lot of time working with him on in the moment coping strategies on how to kind of diffuse that so the reaction isn't as big. And I often think, you know, this is something that most adults don't have the capability to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I love that you're, you're kind of modeling that and showing it to preschoolers. I think, yeah, it's something everybody can, can benefit from. Totally. I mean, we're hearing also, I love when I hear that um, parents are saying, I'm learning too. You know, I had a dad email that's you know, or, um, over Twitter talking about that they're learning some things from the show as well, which, which, you know, is just lovely. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, so that that was something I wanted to ask you about, you know, how can parents, I don't know whether it's co-viewing or, you know, how can parents kind of take this medium that that you've created and, you know, the and, and kind of capitalize on the conversations or the opportunities that they bring up for kids? Like, how can they then take it to the next level in their home? I love this question because I think what I found is that the parents that are the most playful and relevant to their to their kids' lives where they think it's okay to talk about Daniel Tiger as if Daniel is a friend of their child or any anything that they're into, right? Anything that they're reading, any anything that they're really excited about to using that character as a way into their to the conversations that you want to have to model. So for instance, the way that they talk about in the New York Times article is exactly what we tell parents is, you know, if you're a little bit more aware of some of these strategies where they're, or your child is singing one of the strategies as they're trying a new food, you know, like take it on and, and use it um, and keep, and keep it going. And I think whenever you're, you're, whether it's, you have time to co-view or you just have time to play it out, you know, if your child is talking about a pretend character, take it on and take that experience and take that conversation to another level. And sometimes parents are a little bit weird of doing that to they're worried about about I don't know if it's more of a worry that these fantasy characters are real or not it doesn't matter you know it's really just about something that the way that your child is expressing themselves and then the more you can bring that in um, to your everyday life the more learning will continue to happen you know we do it as adults all the time I'm constantly talking about the characters that I'm watching on my shows you know <laughs> <laughs> 
So I don't really, obviously, I don't see any problem with it, but I do see the benefits of putting it in, putting anything that you want your your child to be learning or doing in your own morals and values in the words that children can understand. And sometimes these shows can help you do that. Yeah, I could see kind of just being on the playground and and seeing something happen. What would Daniel Tiger do in this situation? What do you think he would do? Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, exactly. Although, and I've tried that with my, um, well, she was 10 at the time. She's now 12. But, and she looks at me and she says, don't Daniel Tiger me, mommy. (laughs) (laughs) So there might be a limit to when you can do that exactly. So now, of course, I have to use characters from her world, not necessarily Mm, from my It happens to all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. That's definitely... I mean, that's a strategy we use a lot in, in, in our home. My son is very, you know, I always used to say when he's reading a book, it's like watching a movie to him. He's very uh, engaged in the fiction worlds that he um, participates in, whether it's books or television or movies. And we use that to our advantage all the time. And, you know, whether we're co-watching something with him and we'll pause it and have a conversation about it. What do you think he's thinking right now? What would you do in this situation? And there's so many ways to kind of extend the experience. And, and they're usually pretty interested in it because it's starting with something that they are focused on. Yeah, we've had some of the best conversations about about those kinds of things. You know, even I remember about Cinderella, you know, and just literally how awful the stepsisters were. And we had this just constant dialogue about that, which just helped with, for us at the time, it was all the sibling rivalry stuff, right? It really just helped us color that conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, before we, we head out, um, are there any other tips or thoughts that you want to share kind of, I don't know if you have some go-to tips on how parents can tap into kids television to support their kids learning and, and social emotional development, any other strategies for us? I would say that one of the thoughts that just came into my head was to be part of the conversation, like on the Facebook pages, I constantly asking for what it is that you're looking for. Creators like me are always looking at our viewers and the parents who are watching the shows and what they're looking for. And we listen, you know, and so there's a lot um, that we take from that. So being part of an active in that community, I think is also just helpful for us to kind of give back what it is that people are, are looking for or needing. And then you know, I think it's websites like yours and people that are really kind of doing things that are that are pushing the limits. I think we're, we're you know, there's a lot of view and do um, getting kids active and um, creating something, making something, writing the ending to a story, um, just kind of play based is is what I talk about a lot in terms of the kinds of books and articles and activities that parents are you know, that, that we found the most helpful as we're creating our shows and that what we're doing um, in our own parenting communities. Yeah, very cool. I love that idea, too. That's a great tip to just ask for what you want and be part of the conversation. And that's something I'm trying to get parents everywhere to do with every aspect of raising their kids, be more vocal about your experience and what you need so we can get it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been Well, I love talking to you any chance I get, but uh, so fun to talk with you about all of this stuff. And uh, before we go, where can people find out more about you and all of your many projects? Uh, AngelusClues.com is um, something that I use to just try to update everybody on what's going on. And then, of course, all of the Facebook pages for each individual show um, for Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood or Super Y, Creative Galaxy, or Wish and Poof, um, which are both on Amazon. All right. That's great. And I'll, I'll put the links to all of those shows 
and Angela's clues in the show notes for everyone listening. So definitely check out her shows. You've got three networks to choose from. So <laughs> you should be able to find her her shows. And, and they're all I've seen them all. I've been a part of one of them. And, uh, and they're all high quality, great shows. So so thank you again, Angela, so much. It's been great to talk with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To learn more about Angela Santamero and all of her many projects, and she's got a lot going on, believe me, visit her online at www.angelasclues.com. I'll include a link for Angela's website as well as information on all of her TV shows in the show notes for this episode, which you'll find at www.tiltparenting.com slash session 10. For more information on all of the podcast episodes, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast. If you like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe over on iTunes as well as leave an honest review. Subscriptions and reviews help us get more visibility so more parents can become aware of Tilt. Lastly, for more information on Tilt, the revolution for parents raising differently wired kids and to sign up to be part of the community, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.